Our Father God, my prayer simply this morning is that you would show us clearly the truth and that you would help us to meet afresh with Jesus. In his name. Amen. Um, it's Father's Day today. I don't know what you make of that or what you make of Father's Day. I have spent years poo-pooing Father's Day as a conspiracy of the card companies to make more money. And thus, over many years, my children have declined to give me presents. Um, imagine my surprise then, this morning, when I got some cards, which was really rather nice, actually. Ironically, given what I think about Father's Day. Um, but... It is a day when the focus turns on fathers, and that can be fun, and that's a good thing. But it can also be difficult, can't it? I have two friends who are really grieving the loss of adult children at the moment, and struggling with this idea of Father's Day, because it feels so much different. I also have friends uh, close to me who will tell you that Father's Day is difficult because their relationship with their father was difficult and painful, having in some cases lived with a father who was awkward, sometimes a bully, and in whom they lived in fear. So Father's Day can be difficult. And whether our own father was a hero or a villain, in today's passage we get to this question of who is your father? Of course we all have a father, whatever we think, but that was the question that came up for the Jews that Jesus was speaking with. And in essence, The question was about what happened. You see it in verse 38. Do, by the way, keep your Bible open. It would be really helpful, uh, both at home and here in church, as we look through this passage. We see it's, it's really about what happens when you obey your father. You see, Jesus was obeying his father, and by doing so was telling them what he'd seen in his father's presence. And the Jews were obeying their father. But as we see, their father was the father of lies. So the outcome of that belief was very different. Now I've got uh, two headings that I want to uh, split into as we go through the passage this morning. Just focusing on a few verses and then uh, unpacking those with the others. So firstly, slavery to sin and the father of lies. We'll see that in verses 34 to 44. And then we're going to look at freedom and belonging through the truth, verse 31 to 32 and verse 36. So let's look firstly at uh, slavery to sin and the father of lies. Uh, Let me just read some of those those verses out to you as we begin this section. Uh, Verse 34 and verse 44. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, 
for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's bold, isn't it? Now, Jesus, as we see in verse 31, is talking to the Jews who had believed in him. I think it's clear from the passage that there was this group who had developed some kind of belief in Jesus and who he was, but they hadn't really yet kind of got to the point of understanding fully who he was and being able to make a complete commitment to him. Perhaps they realised there's something a bit special about him. They'd seen the signs he was doing. They'd heard the teaching. But yet they didn't really know and understand some of the things that he was saying and what that might imply for them. And so Jesus teaches them, and us. And in doing so, cuts straight to the point of what the real issue is. Verse 32. They need to be set free. And that grabs the, a, a really indignant response, doesn't it, in verse 33? We're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves to anybody. How can you say we shall be set free? Which is a bit ironic when you think about it, because they've been waiting for years for a Messiah to free them from Roman oppression. And they had all those years in their history as a nation, didn't they? 400, I think, years of slavery in Egypt. And then they were under the occupation of Babylon. But of course, all that you see is because they hadn't yet got the point. What they needed freeing from was slavery to sin. Verse 34. And just have a look at verse 34, would you, for a moment. Um, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I think the, um, the NIV uh, translation is a little unhelpful here. After all, don't we all sin every day? We've confessed our sins this morning together in church. We confessed our sins last Sunday together in church. I think the ESV is a little better in its translation with everyone who practices sin. And that better, I think, picks up the original language, which has a sense in it of somebody who continually practices sin, who lives in sin and kind of delights in it and revels in it. They have no intention of anything else. In contrast to those of us who, if we're honest, are so often committing sin, but we earnestly desire to repent and we come constantly to our merciful Father, seeking again and again his forgiveness. Now, to skim very quickly over verses 37 to 41, because there's some complex things in there that we won't really get into the detail of today. But the essence is that while they claimed to be Abraham, that while they claimed to have Abraham as their father, they had really missed the point that they were only physical descendants of Abraham. But you notice they didn't do what Abraham did. Do you remember Genesis 15? Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord 
counted it to him as righteousness. In effect, Jesus is pointing out to them that they can't claim to be Abraham's children and go on not doing what Abraham did, i.e. not believing in him. I think that's the implication behind their sense of being accused of being illegitimate children. And, and so they shifted their claim from we're Abraham's children to only God is our father. It's as if they've played that trump card, as if they've caught Jesus out. Ha! God is our father. Who is your father? And so in verse 42, Jesus says, I've not come on my own. God sent me. And that brings us back round to the reason that God sent him and to the issue of slavery to sin. And who is the master? And therefore, to whom do they belong? You see, they wanted to claim their identity as being in Abraham, their father through history. But then when that didn't seem to be working, they wanted to claim their, uh, their, um, that they belonged in God. But in fact, Jesus says, neither of those is true. You're confused about your identity. You're confused about to whom you belong. You don't certainly belong to Abraham or to God. But, verse 44, you belong to the devil. You are slaves to sin and he is your master. He the father of lies. Nothing he says is true. Indeed, there is no truth in him. And even more, he was a murderer from the beginning, says Jesus. Think about it. This is the same master of lies who masqueraded as the serpent in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. You'll remember the story. Let me just read a little bit of that for you. The serpent said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. <laughs> you will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. From the very beginning, the devil has been, has been a lying, cheating, deceiver, trying to convince people that sin, going against God, actually gives a much better outcome than what God has promised Friends, it's the greatest lie of all, isn't it? And actually, it's no different today in reality. What would be being a slave to sin look like to us today? And for a start, we all fall foul of it, don't we? Right at the first of the Ten Commandments. You may remember what that first commandment is. You shall have no other gods before me. But I wonder what particular lies the devil is telling you every day. 
with a, a kind of a regular, tempting, seemingly attractive proposition that promises so much, but actually will deliver nothing and draw you away from Christ. And I, I think there's lots of examples. Lots of them are what I would call obvious things. Sexual immorality, pornography, drunkenness, drug abuse, fiddling the expenses at work, joining in with all the bullies in the playground at school, gossiping unkindly about people behind their backs at the school gate. But what about the more subtle sins that equally affect us from trusting in Jesus, but maybe don't seem so clear at the time. Here's some examples. Self-righteousness. That kind of, I'm better than you, causing us to unfairly judge others. Or pride. I don't mean being rightly proud of your children, which you should be, or rightly proud of a job well done. Scripture commends that sort of pride. But I mean the pride that is essentially Self-worship. Look how good I am compared to everybody else. Or self-reliance, perhaps. The sort that makes you forget to pray. Or instead of bringing your anxieties and burdens to the Lord, you struggle on regardless, completely ignoring Jesus' offer. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Well, that would be weak, didn't, wouldn't it, to do that? I'm strong, I can carry on. And then, of course, there's self-delusion. We tell ourselves that all these sins don't really matter. It's only a little thing. God will forgive me again and again. But that's the sort of self-delusion which demonstrates a slavery to sin that the Jews were accused of. See, whilst claiming to be God's children, no, we have no other father but God, and yet they were planning to kill him, weren't they? Friends, if any of those sins, whether the obvious ones or the subtle ones, are currently standing in the way between you and the Lord Jesus... Then here is what Jesus says. And the second point, freedom and belonging through the truth are there for you. Have a look at verse 31, back in John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's wonderful, glorious news, isn't it? Freedom. Freedom in a world that is stuck in bondage to sin. But before we get too excited Let's just be clear about exactly what we're getting excited about. Because I wonder whether verse 32 is one of the most misquoted and misused and misapplied verses in the whole of Scripture. 
You see, it poses the question, really, what do we mean when we say truth? You may have heard a little while ago the American politician Rudy Giuliani said that truth isn't truth. And Trump was advised, I think, by one of his people um, that uh, he could present alternative facts. Do you remember that? And it's not new. 130 years ago or so, the uh, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche claimed that there are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. That's, that's the mantra of the world today, isn't it? Truth, whatever it is, is what you make it. So you hear people say things like, well, all truth is a matter of opinion. What's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. Well, truth is relative to the situation in which you speak it. Depends on culture, depends on context. And ultimately, truth is whatever we are willing to assert as true. I think that last one is the most startling and damaging lies pro propagated by campaigners today in the current debate about gender and sexuality. It says you can create your own truth and it will be true. But if any of those examples or definitions of truth had even a speck of the truth that it claimed to be, Jesus could not have said, and the truth will set you free. Could he? What sense would it make for him to claim that you can be set free by something which is changeable, uncertain, subjective, and different for different people in different circumstances. How could Jesus claim that you could be set free by something you've just made up? Instead, Jesus clearly defined what he meant by truth. Have a look again at verse 31. Jesus said, <clears throat> if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, Nietzsche was wrong. There is absolute truth, concrete truth, eternal truth. And Jesus tells me that I don't find it in me. And he tells you that you don't find it in you. Instead, you find it in Jesus. That is what sets us free. The, capital T, truth, capital T. That's why Jesus was able to say a bit later in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what authority does Jesus have to make such a claim? Well, have a look at verse 36 again. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
You see, Jesus, the Son, is the eternal incarnate Son of God. Do you remember last week, um, or it might have been the week before, I forget, Jake was telling us about how at the Festival of Tabernacles, <clears throat> Jesus is the tabernacle. And here we are discovering when Jesus is talking about truth, it's not some theoretical concept, but that Jesus is the truth. Which means that it isn't just some temporary freedom that is on offer, not like a habitual criminal who's released from jail, but probably knowing he's going to be back again, probably the governor saying as he walks out the gate, See you soon. No, look at verse 35. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. You see, a slave is bought at a price with a job to do for a temporary period. And for sure, there would be some... Um, benefits of employment that the slave would have within the family. But at the time of writing, uh, the son would have become the heir within the family, giving him a permanent place in his family. Well, perhaps daughters would have been married off and would have gone with a dowry to another family. Uh, <clears throat> so the, the position of the son as the heir was so important Although in Numbers we do see, um, in God's grace, there was provision made if a family only had daughters, for example. But you see, that was Old Testament, if you like, and we now live post-New Testament, don't we? We have Jesus, the truth. And I think here we can justifiably say that son will include both men and women, boys and girls, set free by the Son, Jesus, and adopted forever into his family. Friends, we are all sons of God if we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as those who've been set free by the truth, by Jesus himself who is the truth, there's no argument about where our identity is. Our identity is as children of God. Everything about who I am is about my identity in Christ. And that's such an important truth to grasp today, isn't it? There's huge pressure at the moment on the church and on society, in society as a whole, to see your identity only in terms of how you feel about yourself. So that you can choose how to describe yourself and how to identify yourself. And in a world that's broken, in which people are bound up in slavery to sin, perhaps even without realising it, we have a message of such joy to proclaim. There is freedom in Christ because he is the truth. I don't know if you remember the first words from the creation account that God spoke to Adam way back before the fall had happened. God said, do you remember? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You are free. 
That's the way we were created in that paradise of Eden. And for sure, we know that God did put a restriction on, except you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because God knew what would happen. It was a restriction based in love and grace. But in contrast to that, look at verse 44 again, which we read. The devil doesn't offer anything true or anything loving. He's been a liar since the beginning and can only speak his own native language, the language of lies. So I hope you can see from that how God created his world, his people to be perfect and live with him in paradise, but that was spoilt by sin coming into the world through the lies of the father of lies. But Jesus, who is the truth, offers freedom. He offers reconciliation with God and brings us into his kingdom as his children forever. So for each of us, I guess, as I finish, the question really is, are you content to be a slave to sin, answering only to the father of lies, tricked into thinking that what seems to be the fun and the joy of everything in this life which will pass by in a flash is all that you need? If that is you, can I urge you to look carefully how Jesus tells us that that will turn out ultimately. He will return one day. There will be a judgment one day. We will all be called to account for who we belong to and what we have done. Or will you come empty-handed and open-hearted to Jesus and say, I acknowledge you, Lord Jesus, as the truth, Set me free. Because if you do that, you will be free indeed. Not with a false temporary freedom, but with the eternal freedom that comes from belonging to Jesus, the truth, the life. Let me pray. Our gracious Father, we've uh, wrestled with some complex things this morning, but we thank you for the joy of knowing you in the Lord Jesus, who is the life, the truth. And Father, I pray now for any of us who are struggling with sadness and grief and the burden of loss on Father's Day, or for those of us that are struggling with the burden of slavery to particular sins that seem to beset us. Father, by your spirit, enable us to trust in the truth. And Father, I pray you would set us free to enjoy that wonderful, glorious belonging to you through all eternity. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.